This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. This is Carter Bishop. I'm a professor of law at Suffolk University Law School in Boston, and it's my great pleasure this morning to make this podcast with Lou Conti of Holland and Knight in their Tampa office. Lou was the chair, the past chair of the Florida Bar Association's business law section and is the chair of the Olmstead Patch Committee that's working with the Florida legislature and a current bill that's been introduced in order to record or put a statutory gloss on the case law that uh, that the Olmstead case uh, has incurred. And so here's what I thought we would do this morning on the podcast. First, uh, I'm going to speak a little bit on the background of this whole topic, but not the Olmstead case specifically, five, seven minutes or so. And then I'm going to turn it over to Lou, who's going to talk about the Olmstead case itself and the rationale of what happened and the majority and the dissenting opinions, and then a little bit about their legislative patch or fix that's been proposed by the Florida Bar Association and uh, some of the ramifications of that and implications of it. And then in the third piece, Lou and I will just discuss generally the implications of Olmstead in the rest of the United States, particularly in states that have legislation that are similar to Florida's law. So good morning, Lou, and if you're ready, I'm ready, and we'll just give a little bit bit background here, and then I'll turn it over to you to talk about the Olmstead case itself. Does that sound good? Good morning, everyone. Uh, That sounds great, Carter. Let's do it. But let's start uh, simply with the liability shield of of a business entity, which just really has uh, something to do with historically the liability shield of a business entity was designed to protect the owner from business liabilities. And the only way to get around that, generally speaking, as long as you had a full liability shield, was an equitable way to pierce the veil. Well, in modern times, that sort of inverted for modern asset protection purposes. And so now there's an equally interesting movement of using the liability shield of the entity to protect the entity's assets from the debts of a particular owner. And that is uh, that has one ramification when there's only one owner of the entity and it has other ramifications when there are other owners of the entity. First, we're not talking about corporations, so let's make that clear, because corporate stock, unlike unincorporated business entity ownership interest is transferable as a default rule and normally has both the economic rights and the governance rights attached to it when it's transferred unless there are other restrictions that are imposed. Under unincorporated business entity law, and now I'm talking about partnership, general partnership, limited partnership interest, and particularly limited liability company interest, which is what Lou and I are focusing on today, are a little bit different. They're bifurcated. The economic rights are freely transferable of those entities, but the governance rights are not. And that's generally designed to allow that statutory rule or bifurcation of the ownership interest in an unincorporated business entity is generally designed to protect the other owners from being forced to accept a person as a partner in a small closely held business or an LLC member uh, that they're not uh, interested in accepting. So for quite some time, there has been 
something of a unique remedy spelled out in many partnership statutes, actually all partnership statutes and all LLC statutes, that's called a charging order. And it's been with us as a statutory remedy since the Uniform Partnership Act of 1914. Generally, it says that a judgment creditor, not an Article 9 creditor, but a judgment creditor of a business owner in a partnership or an LLC is entitled to have a court order the LLC to make distributions that may otherwise occur directly to the judgment creditor to satisfy the judgment. So in other words, the distributions don't go to the judgment debtor, but directly to the judgment creditor or receiver that might be appointed. And if those distributions rights are not adequate in the end to satisfy the judgment, uh, then some states permit, some states preclude, and some states are silent about further collection remedies, including foreclosure, which would give not just a right to the distributions, but an ownership of those distributions in the aggregate, not just to the amount of the judgment, but to the full amount of whatever that ownership interest is uh, worth. That's state law. There are some federal rights of persons who will call super federal creditors, if you will, like the SEC and federal tax law that defines property in a particular way uh, to allow disgorgement and attachment and liens that override state law. That's certainly true in bankruptcy law as well, but outside of bankruptcy, the SEC and certainly the Internal Revenue Service and Treasury have uh, some of those rules. And probably the FTC does as well, who was the plaintiff in this particular case that Lou and I are about to discuss. So basically what happened is that there was an 11th Circuit case filed by the FTC against Sean Olmstead, who held uh, several single-member LLC interests in Florida that were placed in a receivership. And the FTC was essentially after not just foreclosure and not just a charging order, but after the entire interest as if it were a corporate interest, which prompted the 11th Circuit to say, gee, that sounds like a state law issue and not a federal issue, so shouldn't we certify that to the Florida Supreme Court and see whether a judgment creditor of a single-member LLC, can they actually get all the right title and interest to the membership interest like in a corporation? And so with that very brief introduction, I'll turn it over to Lou to talk about the more interesting aspects of the case and the Florida patch that his committee authored, and uh, then we'll get back to what it means across country. Lou? Thanks, Carter. That was a very concise summary. The recertified question that went from the 11th Circuit to the Florida Supreme Court in Olmstead was very simple. Does Florida law permit a judgment debtor to surrender all right title and interest in the debtor's single-member LLC uh, to satisfy an outstanding judgment? And what should have been a fairly straightforward and simple analysis unfortunately became somewhat, how should I say, ambiguous in not only the way the court reached its decision, but also in the dicta that was both in the majority opinion as well as the uh, minority opinion. It was a 5-2 decision from the Florida Supreme Court held the majority opinion that a charging order was not the exclusive statutory remedy with respect to Florida LLCs. They did not, however, specify with any clarity as to exactly what should happen. They were very succinct in the holding. The holding was, we conclude that the 
Florida LLC Act statutory charging order does not preclude application of the creditor's remedy of execution on an interest in a single-member Florida LLC. So what did they do? In order to get to that point, they essentially looked at Florida partnership law, and I think this is perhaps the most compelling part of the majority's decision, and said, look, in, in our partnership act, both general and limited partnership statutes in Florida, we expressly state that a charging order is the exclusive remedy with respect to a partnership interest. And since the Florida LLC Act did not say the magic word exclusive remedy or sole and exclusive remedy, the legislature must have intended that this was not the sole and exclusive remedy, that a charging order should not be viewed as sole and exclusive. That, of course, surprised many of us in Florida who had tried in the past to stick the word sole and exclusive remedy in the statute, uh, but were, there were political uh, pressures from one particular lobbying group that did not want to see it get in there. At the time, we decided that there were more important fixes in the statute that needed to be made, and we didn't want to have that those fixes derailed by this lobby, so we let it go because the expectation was that the law in Florida, case law, had applied what we viewed was the correct position, which was that charging order was the exclusive remedy for a judgment creditor to, to obtain payments from an LLC that would have gone to a member debtor. And so we weren't too fussed about it until Olmstead. So needless to say, when Olmstead was decided this summer, not only folks in Florida, but folks uh, around the country decided that, oh, uh, maybe this language, sole and exclusive, is a lot more important and a lot more necessary than we all thought. The, the problem with Olmstead, in addition to how it arrived at its conclusion, was the end result. Essentially, they turned over the assets of the single-member LLCs directly to the FTC in satisfaction of the judgment, and there was ambiguous language in the majority opinion, even though they, they did say single-member LLC in some context, as the minority opinion pointed out, the dissenting opinion pointed out, that the door was now wide open for judgment creditors to assert rights in multi-member LLCs to obtain uh, interests of members in a multi-member LLC pursuant to their judgment uh, against that member. And as a, as a further result, a number of law firms in the state started sending out memos to their clients and friends saying, in light of this opinion, it would not necessarily be wise to use Florida LLCs uh, if you have any concern about creditors reaching through either to obtain an entire, your entire interest in the LLC or even the assets of the LLC because of the ambiguity of the opinion. So as a result of that ambiguity, the business law section the tax law section and the real property probate and trust law section of the Florida Bar, as well as the family law section, started looking at what could be done to address Olmstead. There was a so-called patch committee, Olmstead patch committee, put together with representatives 
from the business law section, tax section, and real property probate and trust law section to work on a legislative fix that would clarify or seek to clarify the law in Florida with respect to charging orders and limited liability companies formed in the state of Florida. The result of that process initially was two different proposed legislative patches, one by the business law section, which addressed not only uh, multi-member LLCs uh, and making it clear that the charging order was a sole and exclusive remedy, but also addressing what would happen in the context of single-member LLCs with a slightly different carve-out or exception for single-member LLCs. In the meantime, the tax section and the reptile section combined to, how should I say, uh, present a view which was that multi-member LLCs should be protected and charging orders would be the sole and exclusive remedy, but they were silent with respect to single-member LLCs uh, on the theory that we would let the courts figure out exactly what Olmstead really meant in Further discussions, the three sections representatives came together, and we agreed on what we now call a unified Florida Bar proposal, where we address both multi-member and single-member LLCs and charging orders in the context of Olmstead. That joint unified proposal has now been more or less adopted in both the House in House Bill 253, which is proposed by Representative Stargell, and in the Senate, in Senate Bill 1152, in the Florida Senate by Senator Simmons uh, from Orlando. The, just now it's time, I think, to maybe talk a little bit about what the legislative proposal says. And, and remember, our legislative session in Florida is a very brief session, which will begin next week and which will run for 60 days. There is some opposition to the unified proposal coming from the Bankers Association that may or may not cause an amendment to one or both of these. The Florida Bar is maintaining the position that the proposal that has been submitted as a unified proposal and promulgated by Senator Simmons and Representative Stargell is the appropriate one. So. What I'm saying today is as of today, and you know, a week from now it might it might be slightly different. So I would track this if you're interested and see how the Florida legislature responds as the bills wind their way through the legislative process. The expectation, of course, is that there will be something in this session that will be passed addressing Olmstead and that will apply to some extent, at least retroactively, that's the stated intention of the sponsors of the bill, not necessarily trying to overturn Olmstead, but at least apply retroactively so that entities that are, where decisions have not been rendered and where actions may have been started but not concluded would be subject to the new legislation. The effective date is not yet defined explicitly, and so I keep that as a point of reference to keep an eye on. So what does the bill say? So what the bill did, it said first and foremost that, and I think this is in materials that uh, you'll have in front of you. Um, Carter, is that correct? That, That's uh, correct. House Bill 253 is a clickable document that will be attached to this podcast. Okay. The premise to the bill essentially starts by referencing Olmstead specifically, 
and the, the opinion of the Florida Supreme Court on June 24th, holding that a charging order is not the exclusive remedy available to the creditor holding a judgment against a single-member LLC. And the language of the legislation goes on to point out what charging orders are meant to be, a lien against the right to receive distributions from the LLC, and goes on to point out uh, some of the ambiguity in the opinion that might have caused some concern. And we essentially modify our charging order statute, which was 608.433, and amend it to make it quite clear that with respect to multi-member LLCs in the state of Florida, that a member or an assignee of a member who happens to be a debtor uh, owing some funds to a judgment creditor need not worry about the judgment creditor obtaining the full membership interest of the member. The judgment creditor is limited to the charging order as the sole and exclusive remedy and that in the absence of some unusual circumstance. So, for example, this does not apply to secured creditors. It does not apply to fraudulent transfers. It doesn't apply to attempts to defraud a, a creditor. So there are, there, right now, the bill does not have a sentence or two in it because our view had been that everyone understood that consensual liens, uh, secured creditors, fraudulent transfers, etc., would not be subject to the sole and exclusive language, but at the urging of the Bankers Association, we believe that these bills may be amended to add a sentence or two uh, to make it quite explicit that even in the context of multi-member LLCs, to the extent that uh, there is a secured lien against the membership interest or there is a fraudulent transfer into an LLC of an asset that that is not that the sole exclusive language would not preclude the creditor from asserting those remedies in obtaining some relief from the court. And so, what did we do in the context of uh, single-member LLCs? In the context of single-member LLCs, we have essentially provided that the judgment creditor can go to the court and if they can establish to the satisfaction of the court that the charging order will not result in the payment of the judgment within a reasonable time, that the court can authorize a foreclosure sale of the membership interest, not just the transferable interest, but the entire membership interest in the case of a single-member LLC, whereby the court would order the sale, the normal foreclosure sale process would occur with respect to auction and bidders, and the ultimate purchaser at the foreclosure sale would acquire the entire LLC interest of the single member uh, who happened to be the debtor. And consequently, that's a significant change from the law in Florida, but It provides something that Olmstead did not, which is a judicially supervised foreclosure process and only under the circumstances where it is not reasonably likely that the judgment creditor would be satisfied from distributions within a reasonable time 
from the LLC. The, the problem, as you all know, or most of you will know, is that in a single-member LLC, there just will not be any distributions authorized by a single member to him, himself or herself, and consequently a judgment creditor would not really have any way of obtaining any proceeds until that distribution is actually made. And in the case of some LLCs, a fair number of them, in fact, in Florida, they are not income-producing assets that are in the LLCs. It may be vacant land, it may be beachfront property, it may be other assets that don't generate income. And so the judgment creditors have uniformly held that of the view that they can't, they have no effective remedy, and that LLCs are being used by single-member LLCs in particular as quote asset protection vehicles for assets that should be subject to the reach of a creditor. Um, we don't have time to get into the debate about that. I don't believe. Um, Carter, is that a sufficient overview? That is not just sufficient. It is terrific. And now we can talk about just a couple of back-and-forth questions about uh, some ramifications. First of all, the other documents that are clickable attachments include a charging order statute, 50-state charging order statute table that I keep up to date. So that's available, which shows you the language of the old Florida statute as well as other statutes around the country. A similar thing on charging order cases, the Olmstead case itself and an article that, that I uh, wrote with regard to the Olmstead case and its effect in other states. But uh, let's, let's get back to something that I think was very important that you said, Lou. Number one, this would be, if you agree with me, the first, since you cabined in the Olmstead case, this would be the first statute in the United States that would justify in a single-member LLC the creditor getting at the entire interest of the member under state law without going to other equitable remedies. Is that is Yeah, that that's correct. That, that's a huge compromise that the bar has made in, to the interest of creditors that are represented around the state. It was a balancing act, and if you... Nobody likes to be the first one to go and provide a creditor remedy that no other state provides. Uh, On the other hand, the Olmstead opinion is so problematic in in so many respects that there was uh, an overriding desire, to use your term, to cabin in and somehow constrain Olmstead so that courts would not make a total mess of what had been the normal order of things, if I could say that, with respect to LLCs and partnerships in Florida, and particularly LLCs, which are fairly, I hope, <laughs> fairly straightforward in, uh, in addressing charging orders for partnerships. So we should not have this problem in the partnership part. Right. Let's talk about this, the next step. Assuming that this happens in, this, in the state legislature, you mentioned this, what does that do to all the people who haven't got a judgment and they're in a single-member LLC in a Florida LLC? Uh, before people think about domesticating their LLC in some other state, there are a number of factors that I think ought to be considered. First of all, Lou, I think you and I agree that there are probably at least uh, 20 states that are like your old law, pre-House Bill uh, 253, that are more or less silent with regard to exclusivity and silent with regard to foreclosure. And how those states will come out 
on the same issue is not at all answered by their statutes. So the Olmstead case and how it's interpreted will be very important in other states over time because just because you domesticate in a state that has a law that's similar to Florida but not Olmstead and not the Olmstead fix doesn't mean that you won't get an Olmstead case decision in that in that state. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. That point was discussed at great length. Of the states that have what I'll call a, a, a Florida-like silence mm-hmm. with respect to charging order, we believe that the vast majority, like Florida, believe that charging order really was meant to be the remedy for judgment creditors of a debtor who happened to be a member of an LLC, and that perhaps it wasn't necessary. And I think you're exactly right that all of those states should be looking at Olmstead and deciding, do we need to say something in our state statute, LLC statute, that either would accept or would reject the ultimate finding in Olmstead so that we don't have to... uh, go through what Florida's going through. Well, that's if their legislature gets at it. If they don't, there's still a very real possibility that the state courts in other states uh, could come out in the same place as Olmstead. I take it if somebody that's in Florida wants to move their LLC to another state by domesticating, but they're still doing business in Florida, and a Florida creditor gets a judgment against Let's say they redomesticate in, um, I don't know, let's pick a state, Delaware. A Florida creditor of the member, of the only member, gets a judgment. Which law do you think would even apply? Do you think that the Florida law would apply to allow the creditor to go ahead and get the entire interest, or do you think the Delaware law would apply to that issue? That's a great question, and one that actually is the subject of ongoing discussion. We believe that the law of Delaware should apply with respect to the rights of a judgment creditor against the Delaware LLC doing business or holding assets in Florida. And there is a lobbying effort that was initiated here in Florida by creditors to centrally require or allow courts in Florida to use Florida law or to apply Florida law in connection with charging orders for foreign LLCs if the asset was located in Florida. So Mm -hmm. it was Florida real estate or Florida bank accounts or other Florida assets or some other domicile connection to Florida for the assets, and that if there was sufficient creditor and debtor connection, I guess, that uh, I'm I'm not an expert on uh, the venue aspects, but the proposal that was rejected so far by the legislature, or at least we haven't seen a sponsor step up to pick it up, was that uh, we would put some specific language in the Florida LLC statute that said if you're a Delaware entity, we wouldn't say Delaware, if you're a foreign right. LLC with assets in Florida, a judgment creditor against a Florida member would be able to obtain Florida's law allowing for, in, in the case they proposed, a direct transfer of the entire interest without even going through a foreclosure sale. So I'm giving you the extreme view that was not accepted, but as part of that, they were looking to try to get something in the legislature that would disregard, if you will, the foreign jurisdiction's state law. Well, um, so what that's what that says to me 
and I think this is an important point that you that you made is that people ought to think about this carefully before they start moving around from state to state because all that says if the legislature doesn't speak you're right back to what the what a Florida court will say and it's although Delaware might not enforce a court order if the property was in Delaware if the if the only member of the LLC is in Florida and the assets of the LLC are in Florida I can see a Florida court following the Olmstead language without without um, you know, following the Olmstead theory, going after the going after the asset, even though they don't have the blessing of the LLC, because they wouldn't need any blessing of the LLC because they got the only member. So that's a possibility that the internal affairs rule that normally applies to these things might not apply, particularly where all the assets are located in the state where the judgment debtor is. Yeah, the uh, Florida does not want to be the state that codifies a, an elimination of the internal affairs rule. Um, at least that's our uh, the bar's view. We would prefer not to get to that point. To the extent we are successful in having a legislative patch put in that does cabin in the you know, reach of Olmstead and does provide a mechanism, at that point we think we've eliminated the problem. Uh, in the absence of that, I think you're exactly right. The courts really can do pretty much what they want when it comes to single-member LLCs if we don't get new legislation directly addressing the issue. Well, I don't know of any issue, at least in LLCs, that's more interesting than this one. It's really a battle between business entity organization law that's existed for 100 years and creditors' rights. I think it's going to continue to develop. We're at the end of our venue, but uh, Lou, I can't thank you enough for all your insightful comments and uh, giving us a excellent overview of what Florida is doing and the kind of issues that have popped up in Florida. They're going to appear in other states uh, at one level or the other. So I just want to take this moment to uh, thank you very much for your participation. Well, thank you, Carter. I'd like to also acknowledge your efforts and uh, the efforts uh, of Dan Kleinberger and others uh, who have given us some valuable insight and advice during the process. We have, those of you listening should know that Carter has been very helpful in uh, sharing his work product and his thoughts as of uh, his colleagues at Nakuzel and uh, at the ABA. So we appreciate their efforts as well, and I'm happy to, to join you in this discussion. Thank you very much, Lou. Thank you, Carter. Bye now. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.